What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Thank you. Since the chairman has gaveled out all of my colleagues with their unanimous consent, I am going to read for the record many of the chairman's comments uh, in September of the importance this of hearing from This is the Lord. Tom Hartman Again, program. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your listening service. to the uh, testimony of Marie Yovanovitch, the former U.S. ambassador to, to Ukraine. To Ukraine. This is uh, Wall Street Journal. Ms. Stefanik. Who, whistleblower at the Ms. Center for the, the uh, Republican Trump from will testify in the House very soon. This is a quote by the chairman. USA Today, September 29th. Talking with ABC News this week, Schiff, the Democrat who chairs the House Intelligence Committee, said the whistleblower would testify very soon. And the only thing standing in the way was getting security clearances for the attorneys representing the whistleblower so they could attend the testimony. From Vox, September 29th, Rep. Adam Schiff said Sunday the whistleblower at the center of a growing scandal surrounding President Donald Trump will testify before the House Intelligence Committee very soon. On CNN, September 29th, Schiff said Sunday on ABC as well as NBC's Meet the Press that he expects the whistleblower to testify very soon. The Washington Post, September 29th. In an appearance on ABC News this week, Schiff echoed Pelosi's message. He also said he expected the Intelligence Committee to hear from the whistleblower very soon, pending a security clearance from Acting Director of National Intelligence Joseph McGuire. In the Huffington Post, Schiff told ABC's this week that he expects the whistleblower to appear before this committee very soon. In the New York Post, quote, we'll get the unfiltered testimony of that whistleblower. In the Washington Times, quote, that whistleblower will be allowed to come in. These are all quotes from Chairman Adam Schiff. In Talking Points memo, the question was posed, actually this was by George Stephanopoulos, have you reached an agreement yet with the whistleblower and his or her attorneys about coming before the committee and providing the information firsthand? Quote, yes we have, Schiff responded, and as DNI McGuire promised during the hearing, that whistleblower will be allowed to come in and come in without a minder from the Justice Department or from the White House to tell the whistleblower what they can and cannot say. We'll get the unfiltered testimony of that whistleblower. In Daily Coast, This is, as I said, Elise Stefanik. She's actually that from New done. York, not Crazyville. We'll she just sounds like she's from Crazyville. Sure um, what she's trying to do basically is attack Adam Schiff, number one, and NBC. number two, we'll say we need to bring the whistleblower in front of us so that we can give him the Christine or her, the Christine Blasey Ford treatment so that we can out this person, so that we can make sure that this person gets death threats, so that no other whistleblowers will come forward to confront the Trump administration. I defer back to Crazyville. It is important to protect whistleblowers from retaliation and from firing, and we want to make sure whistleblowers are able hey. to come forward. But right. in this case, the fact that we are getting criticized by Chairman Adam Schiff for statements that he himself made early on in this process shows the duplicity and just the abuse of power that we are continuing to see. With a minute 54 seconds left, I'll yield to my colleague, Mr. Jordan. I thank the gentlelady for yielding. Uh, I would also. This is now that, Jim uh, Jordan, a Republican from Pitbullville. Four people we've deposed that we have not been able to use the see their transcripts, have their transcripts released, and they're uh, released, and therefore, the testimony they provided, we're not able to use in these open hearings. If it's an open hearing, all the available testimony from depositions that has been taken by the committee should be available to be discussed for the American people to see. But no, no, no. Mr. Morris and Mr. Hale and two other, Ms. Williams, two others have, and, and another one have not yet been released. So I hope the chairman releases that. One other point I would make in the, in the last minute of Ms. Stefanik's time. 
the Democrats have asserted that this this whole thing puffing and puffing here. Ambassador Yovanovitch was part of some sinister scheme by the White House. Yes, it was. To get Mr. Zelensky to do an investigate, President Zelensky to do an investigation. If recalling Ambassador Yanovich was part of some scheme by Trump and Pompeo and Giuliani to get President Zelensky to do an investigation, why would they replace her with the Democrats' first witness, their star witness, Bill Taylor? I mean, that, that, if that's the Well, they plan, tried to push Taylor out of the way and insert Sondland. I mean, that's, that's a simple their answer. Their star witness, their first Pitbull. witness, Mr. Taylor, was here Wednesday. That's what they were up to? I think it just demonstrates that that is not what went on here. Mr. Zelensky never undertook any investigations. And the reason the aid was released, as we discussed on Wednesday, was because Vice President Pence, Ambassador Bolton, and U.S. Senators all talked with President Zelensky, and they were convinced he was the real deal, as the ambassador has alluded to in her testimony. That's why the money was released. Yeah, no, the money was released, or the well, military aid Mr. was released. Chairman, a lot because of two days earlier, the, the, the American media had, had laid out the, first, the whistleblower. Most of Anyhow, the here's whistleblower Eric Swalwell, has alleged has Democrat been corroborated by the witnesses that we have heard from. Second, the president, who my colleagues so shamelessly continue to defend, continue to pressure, threaten, and intimidate the whistleblower. So I'd like unanimous con consent to put into the record a September 26, 2019 article from Business Insider. Trump suggested the whistleblower who filed a complaint against him is guilty of treason, which is punishable by death. Without objection. How about September 26, 2019, Vanity Fair? Trump suggests executing the whistleblower's sources like, quote, in the good old days. Third? Without objection. September 29th, whistleblower's lawyer raises fear for client safety. Without objection. From Axios. Mr. Chairman, the whistleblower has an absolute right to anonymity. The whistleblower's lawyer has said that he fears for his personal safety and will only answer questions now in writing. I wish my colleagues would join me in protecting the whistleblower's right to anonymity. But here, Ms. Yovanovitch, we are here to talk about you and what you witnessed. And you saw a lot as it related to Mr. Giuliani. And I want to read a quote to you from Mr. Giuliani, but first ask you, when you were in Ukraine, you understood that Rudy Giuliani was Donald Trump's personal lawyer. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Are you familiar with Rudy Giuliani's quote in the New York Times describing himself as the lawyer saying, quote, he basically knows what I'm doing, comma, sure, as his lawyer. Were you familiar with that quote? It sounds familiar. And you have a lawyer with you today, uh, Ms. Yovanovitch. And you understand that lawyers act on their client's behalf, is that right? Yes. That it would be improper for a lawyer to go outside any directive that a client gives, is that right? That's my understanding. Are you familiar with a New York Times story on May 9, 2019, where Rudy Giuliani says that he intends to visit Ukraine and says, we're not meddling in an election, we're meddling in an investigation. Are you familiar with that quote? Yes. That's 11 days before you were removed as ambassador, is that right? Yes. He is talking publicly about designs on coming to Ukraine, but what I think is interesting is that Mr. Giuliani says, we're, as in we are. He doesn't say I am not meddling in an election. He doesn't say I'm not meddling in an investigation. He says we. He's speaking for himself, and his client. And I want to talk about that quote, we're not meddling in an election, we're meddling in an investigation. Is it proper for you or anyone who acts on behalf of the United States government to meddle in an investigation? No, I don't believe so. Why not? Well, there are law enforcement channels and it, things need to be handled properly and without any kind of political bias. Now, this anti-corruption crusader, President Trump, who my colleagues have touted out as having such a great interest in anti-corruption, in both the calls that have been referenced today, the August 21 call and the July 25 call, isn't it true that President Trump never mentions the word corruption? Yes, that's true. And as far as the foreign aid that my colleagues keep saying, well, 
he can't be guilty, he didn't complete the cheat, the aid went to the Ukrainians, isn't it true that the only reason the aid, or the only time the aid went to the Ukrainians was after the whistleblower complaint became public? Yes, it was after the whistleblower complaint became public. So you don't really get points when you get your hand caught in the cookie jar and someone says, hey, he's got his hand in the cookie jar, and then you take your hand out, which is essentially what my Republican colleagues and the president are trying to take credit for. Finally, I want to put up the disgusting tweet from the president today, where he attacks your character. But I think I know who you are, Ambassador. I think the country knows who you are. He smeared you when you were in Ukraine. He smeared you on that phone call with President Zelensky on July 25. He is smearing you right now as you are testifying. Ambassador Yovanovitch, are the president's smears going to stop you from fighting corruption? Well, I will continue with my work. And if your country asks you again to fight corruption, will you still do that despite the smears? Yes. Thank you. I yield back. I, I want to follow up on Ms. Quigley's line of question and also harken back to something you were asked by Minority Council earlier. You were asked a couple of questions. Do you think you could have done more to push back against the smear campaign? Um, and I, I'm not suggesting this is what the council was getting at, but sometimes victims are asked, are, aren't you responsible for your own victimization? What would you say to people who say, isn't it kind of your fault, Ambassador, that you didn't fight your own smear harder? <laughs> um, well, I think that, um, you know, I've been a foreign service officer for a long time. And just like the military, we have our own culture, we have our own kind of chain of command, so to speak. And I did everything that I could uh, to, um, you know, to, uh, to address these issues and ask the State Department to do what I felt was the right thing, which was support me uh, when, uh, when it was important to do so, uh, because it was also about supporting the policy. Uh, I, I, I think it was for others to stand up for me. I think we've kind of figured out the whole Republican strategy here. Eric Swalwell, that was just absolutely brilliant. He was making the points that I've been riffing about here and made them very, very well. And they just need to be made over and over and over again. We're listening to the impeachment hearings. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Former Ukrainian Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch is testifying. Uh, the fellow who followed her as current ambassador testified day before yesterday, Mr. Taylor service. You are an honor to this country, and I thank you for all that you have done and will continue to do on, on behalf of your country. You. Now, I'm thank nervous you. about what I'm getting ready to do. I want to do a five-year history of Ukraine in about 45 seconds, and now that you're a, a professor, you can grade my paper, okay? Valentine's Day 2014, the Ukrainian people get fed up with the Ukrainian president, Yanukovych, and basically overthrow him. He goes on the run. This was the um, revolution of dignity. Um, who was the acting president during that time when Yanukovych went out? I think it was... Uh, Turchinov, is that how you say Turchinov, it? Turchinov, thank you for helping Tur me. Turchinov, okay, excellent. Then in March of 2014, that is when we saw little green men um, coming into Ukraine and ultimately uh, the Russians invade the Ukraine and not only annex, try to annex um, Crimea, uh, but also try to, in they invade the entire country in the eastern Donbass as well. Yes. Um, then there was an election and the Ukrainian president was Poroshenko. That was in June of 2014. Then you came to post in 2016 of August, is that correct? Two years later. Uh, January 2017, Trump was elected. And in December of 2017 is when the javelins were approved, right? Mm -hmm. And we saw those javelins delivered in April of 2018 to be put to first use. Then we had uh, Zelensky uh, elected in 2019, uh, April, correct? Mm -hmm. Now, uh, the Zelensky defeated the previous president, Poroshenko. Yes. There's no love lost between those two dudes, is there? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Um, and then in May of 20, 2019, Zelensky is sworn in. Yes. 
So my questions, um, we talk a lot about Rudy Giuliani. Do we know what officials within the Zelensky regime he actually met with? I know two. A gentleman named by Yurimak, who was one of Zelensky's um, senior advisors. And then we also know of the former attorney general that we've already established here, um, the, we didn't, it was corrupt, Lushenko, right? And Mr. Lushenko served under Zelensky for a couple of months, up until April, I mean, excuse me, August, is that correct? Yes, that's right. And their parliament basically voted him out, is that correct? Yes, that's right. So if Rudy Giuliani is trying to influence the Zelensky regime, would a guy that worked under the previous regime, under Poroshenko, be the right guy to do it? So are you saying Mr. Lutsenko? Yes. That he, could you? Could, uh, so could you did Mr. Lutsenko have much credibility within the Zelensky regime, the current, the current regime? I don't think so. He didn't. He didn't. Uh, now, Mr. Yermak, do you know of any other Ukrainians that Mr. Giuliani was meeting with that was part of the Zelensky regime? Well, just to remind, I, I would have already have left Ukraine by that uh, point. But there was but a, no, I'm not aware. E even with the administration to come, right? Zelensky uh, won the election. There was a two-month uh, period of preparing to be installed as president. Even during that time, were you aware of any there contact? Was, um, so there is a, um, one of the oligarchs, as we've heard about. One of the oligarchs is named um, Mr. Kolomoisky, and he met with Mr. Fruman and uh, sure. Mr. Parnas, and but, that was apparently to get a, a meeting for Mr. Giuliani. And those are, but those are not people that were actually in government or became in the Zelensky regime, is that right? No. Um, Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Thank you. Mr. Castro. Thank you, Chairman, and thank you, Ambassador. With all the problems unfolding for the Fed and central banks, you may be asking some very important questions. How close are we to the next economic collapse? What will it look like just before the crash? And how can I protect my investments and my retirement? There are a few people better suited to answer these questions than ITM Trading's chief market analyst, Lynette Zhang. Her fact-based research on the markets, currencies, and economy is second to none, and her videos have prepared people for almost every major downfall in the U.S. economy this year. If you haven't heard of Lynette Zhang and ITM Trading, I highly recommend looking them up. They're pioneers in economic education, and they're experts at creating strategies to protect you against the next inevitable crisis. If you're looking to protect your wealth or just hedge against the most volatile economy since 2007, go to youtube.com slash ITM Trading. I recommend learning as much as you can before the next crisis hits, so you can make the most educated choices while there's still time. That's youtube.com slash ITM Trading. Service to our nation. A big question here today is why you were pushed aside as ambassador. For example, Americans know that an employer has a right to fire an employee, but they shouldn't do it for certain reasons. You shouldn't be fired because you're disabled, because you're a woman, because you're black, and for other reasons. And I think most Americans agree that a president shouldn't fire an ambassador or recall an ambassador because the ambassador is standing in his way of doing a corrupt act. So I want to ask you, did the president ever tell you why he was recalling you? No. Did anybody at the White House ever tell you why you were being recalled? No. Did the president ever consult you about who the good guys and the bad guys were in the Ukraine? No. Did Secretary Pompeo ever tell you why you were being recalled? No. And it appears in the testimony that we've heard in the Intelligence Committee so far that there were a group of the president's men perhaps Secretary Perry, Rudy Giuliani, Ambassador Sunlun, who were in on this scheme to help the president get the Bidens and Burisma investigated. And I want to put aside President Trump for just a second and ask you, in all of your years of service, have you ever come across a president, been asked by a president, or known of colleagues who were asked by an American president to have to help the, help that president get an American investigated overseas. I'm not aware of that. And if a president asked you, 
to investigate a former vice president for this purpose, what would you have said? I mean, with what I know today, I would have said no. And would you have considered an unlawful act? I don't know that it's unlawful per se, but I think again uh, that there are channels for conducting proper investigations and that that would have been the best way to handle something like this. But certainly it would be, it's bizarre for a president to ask that some American be investigated by another government. It's very unusual. And also, you mentioned that there is corruption in Ukraine. Ukraine isn't the only country that, that confronts corruption. If the people in power in a country where corruption is rampant are being asked by a foreign leader who's got a lot of leverage over them to conduct an investigation, could that be dangerous because they could trump up charges against someone if they wanted? They could. And I also want to ask you, I spoke to um, Ambassador Kent. He made a comment yesterday uh, about selective prosecutions and what it means going forward, what kind of precedent it sets. And you've spoken about a dangerous precedent for the State Department and for diplomats. But I want you to help us consider the precedent going forward. If there's no consequences for President Trump or really any president who does this, what are the consequences for this country and for any American, not just a former vice president or a presidential candidate or even somebody in politics, but a person in business who does business in Saudi Arabia or some other country, if a president is going to speak to another head of state or some foreign official and try to get that person investigated, what does that mean for the future of the country and for Americans? Well, I think that... Um investigations, prosecutions, judicial decisions properly uh, should remain uh, with investigators, prosecutors, and uh, the courts. And I think that, as I said before, uh, I think Senator Vandenberg, when he said that politics needs to stop at the water's edge, I think he was right in that. I yield back to the chairman. Mr. Radcliffe, thank the chairman and I, Ambassador Yovanovitch. I'd like to uh, join all of my colleagues on both sides of the aisle in uh, thanking you for your service. Um, I'd like to ask you about your uh, earlier testimony uh, about your uh, Senate confirmation and Congresswoman Stefanik had asked you um, how the Obama-Biden uh, State Department had prepared you to This is uh, John Radcliffe, Republican Burisma Texas, who was Biden's pretty aggressive in his questioning that? of uh, and, Taylor and uh, Kent. She mentioned that areas. you had been asked or been prepared for a question about <coughs> Hunter Biden's role on the board of Burisma, but I don't think that you gave us Oh, we're back to Hunter Biden, of course. It's a Republican Biden, asking the question. Uh, State Department Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden. you to give in response to that question. Do you remember what those answers were? Yeah, it was um, something along the lines of, uh, I would refer you to the vice president's office on that. So did they, in the course of that, uh, brief you about um, the amount of money that Hunter Biden was being paid by Burisma? No, I, th this wasn't part of a briefing. Let's be sure to get this on the record, I too. I had yes. sort of big old books with right. questions that might come up. In preparation for your confirmation. And they thought that Hunter Biden's role at Burisma might be significant enough that it would come up uh, during your confirmation. Is that correct? Apparently so. I mean, there were hundreds of questions. Well, um, hundreds of questions, but were there hundreds of companies? Um, how many companies other than Burisma? They are did grasping the at Biden straws. State I'm telling Department you. We'll be back in just a minute. For? And if so, if there were others, you're which listening ones? to the Tom Hartman program. Breaking news, I finally found a topic everyone can agree on. No matter what party you support, the ideas you believe in, or opinions you may have, we can all agree on the fact that aging stinks. Under eye bags, fine lines, wrinkles, crow's feet, no one can escape it. 
Luckily, I found just the product to help. It's called Plexiderm Rapid Reduction Serum, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates all your key signs of aging. And the best part is it works in minutes. Now that's newsworthy. No bias here, Plexiderm works. And with all the holiday parties coming up, there's no invasive surgeries, no complication. And the best part is no one has to know that you're wearing it. It's remarkable. You'll look just like you, only years younger. Go to triplexiderm.com and use my code TOM, T-H-O-M, for 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code TOM, T-H-O-M. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code TOM at checkout, T-H-O-M. That's triplexiderm.com, code TOM. We're listening to uh, the testimony of uh, amb sure uh, U.S. Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch I mean, you know, this is a while ago before the recall. impeachment hearings. But you specifically recall Burisma? Yes. All right. Out of thousands of companies in the Ukraine, the only one that you recall the Obama-Biden State Department preparing you to answer questions about was the one where the vice president's son was on the board. Is that fair? Yes. Uh, you understood from uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary George Kent's testimony, as it's been related to you, um, that he testified a few days ago. Do you understand that that arrangement, Hunter Biden's um, role on the Burisma board, caused him enough concern that, as he testified in uh, his statement, that in February of 2015, I raised my concern that Hunter Biden's status as a board member could create the perception of a conflict of interest he went on to talk about the vice president's responsibilities over the Ukraine and or over Ukraine Ukrainian policy as one of those factors. Do you recall that? Yes. Did you ever do you agree with that? Yeah. That it was a legitimate concern to raise. I, I think that it could raise um, the appearance of a conflict of interest. And did you discuss that ever with Mr. Kent? I don't believe so. Shortly before your confirmation in August of 2016, um, uh, Prosecutor General Shokin was fired by President Poroshenko, correct? Yes. And um, President, or, uh, uh, Prosecutor General Shokin was the one who had opened the investigation into Burisma, correct? Um, I, I think that's right, but I'm, I'm not actually sure. He was in charge of it, at least at that point in time, as the Prosecutor General. Mm -hmm. And are you aware um, of the very public uh, statements by the vice president that that firing of the prosecutor general occurred in March of 2016, uh, six hours after the vice president um, told President Poroshenko that he needed to fire the prosecutor general or that he wouldn't receive $1 billion from the United States? Do you recall that? Yes. All right. And do you think that that um, raises a potential concern or conflict of interest that the Vice President of the United States was ordering the firing of the prosecutor in charge of a company that has been identified as one that is substantially corrupt? I actually don't. I don't think that uh, the, uh, the view that um, Mr. Shokin was not a good prosecutor general fighting corruption, I don't think that had anything to do with the Burisma case. But the legitimate concern about Hunter Biden's role was legitimate, correct? I think it creates uh, a, a concern that there could be an a, a appearance of... Well, based on your testimony, uh, Ambassador, I, I'd like to renew my request, Mr. Chairman, that uh, Hunter Biden's testimony that has been requested... Time the gentleman has expired. ...requested by the Republicans be considered... The gentleman has expired. ...as Mr. legitimate Hunter rather Biden than is. as a sham, as the... General uh, suspend. ...referred to General by suspend. the Chairman. Your time is expired. I have a unanimous Mr. Heck. I have a unanimous consent request. You're not recognized, Mr. Mr. Heck. You are, Ambassador. I'd like to thank you very much. Add my voice of, a, of <coughs> gratitude for your years of service. Frankly, you're the best of this nation, and I cannot think of anybody else I would rather have representing us in a foreign capital than you. you. My colleagues have gone to a great deal of effort to better understand the facts surrounding your removal. I think the facts are pretty clear. There was a smear campaign. 
and it was orchestrated by a corrupt Ukrainian prosecutor, the president's attorney, the president's son, and even some of the president's allies at his favorite TV station. So that campaign led to your removal, despite 33 years of outstanding service, progressive responsibility, and awards. And so I kind of sit here with a mix of emotions. On the one hand, I, I, there's some pride and gratitude for all your outstanding service. And on the other hand, I'm angry, like my friend from Connecticut. In fact, I'm very angry about how it is the most powerful person on the face of the earth would remove you from office after your stellar service and somehow feel compelled to characterize you as bad news and then to ominously threaten that you're going to go through some things. So I am angry, but I'm not surprised. After all, as was suggested earlier, he said the whistleblower may have committed treason, a crime punishable by death, even though the whistleblower strictly adhered to the letter of the law as independently attested to by both the Trump-appointed Inspector General and the acting DNI. After all, he even demeaned the memory of Senator McCain after he lied in his grave at the Naval Academy grounds despite a lifetime of public service and serving six years as a prisoner of war in a tiny cell in Hanoi being beaten and tortured every day. And after all, he belittled the Gold Star Khan family, whose son, Captain Khan, gave his last full measure of devotion out of love for this country. And let me tell you, as somebody whose older brother never saw his 35th birthday because of service in the Vietnam War, those words are deeply offensive. Words matter, and the words leveled against you constitute bullying of the worst order. Your good character, your outstanding reputation have been besmirched in a way that is devoid of common decency. But here's my message to you. There is nothing, Ambassador Ivanovich, nothing he can say or do, not a thing, that will in any way diminish the nature and quality of the service you have rendered to our great nation. Not a thing. And there is not a thing he can say or do that will diminish our gratitude to you for that service. And I thank you again for it. Thank you. Thank you. So as to the larger point, I, I would like you to answer, what does this mean to Ukraine when the United States actually engages in the kind of behavior that we are attempting to discourage them from engaging in, namely a politically motivated prosecution? What does that mean to our, what does that mean to them in their struggling efforts to become a robust democracy? What's the impact in Ukraine for this behavior? Yeah. Well, I think Ukraine, like many countries, looks to us for the power of our example. And um, I think that when we um, engage in questionable uh, activities, uh, that, that This is uh, Congressman Denny Hecht and questioning Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch. It emboldens He's a Democrat. those who are corrupt, who don't want to see Ukraine become Washington State. Um, you know, a democracy free market economy, uh, a part of Europe. And by the way, he just finished just ripping into uh, Donald Trump um, for, for dishonoring under Russia's throat. Uh, John McCain's service to the country and uh, the Gold Star family, the, the Khan family. And he pointed out that his own older brother died at the age of 35 in Vietnam. And he's very bent out of shape about the, the horrible way that I Trump that treated uh, John McCain. Break. Um, let's oh. take a five-minute recess. They're gonna, uh, if if they're members of the audience could please remain in the seats we to allow the uh, minutes. Council. And Marie Yovanovitch has been, has been testifying. This is just absolutely remarkable. The, 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 I mean, you know, some pieces of this story are, are just, like, breathtaking. There was a young woman in Ukraine who was attacked with sulfuric acid because she was crusading against corruption, right? She was fighting corruption. And 
She has this acid thrown on her. She dies a horrible, painful death. And Marie Ivanovich apparently knew her. And this woman dies. And then Ivanovich is holding a, basically a ceremony to, to, uh, you know, to memorialize her. And she's in there to honor her. And this is when she gets this phone call that Trump, Trump wants you out. We also learned, or one of the things that I learned here, and I'm, you know, like the timeline is getting filled in, is that early in the Trump administration, very early on in the Trump administration, there was a, uh, when, when Poroshenko was still president, now keep in mind, Poroshenko was kind of the, the in-between guy. There was Yanukovych, who was, you know, insanely corrupt. He was Paul Manafort's guy. In fact, when Yanukovych got overthrown, that was the revolution of dignity. When Yanukovych got overthrown, um, that's how we found out about some of, you know, the stuff that Paul Manafort's sitting in jail for right now for tax evasion, because that's where the the diaries came out that showed all the, the, the millions of dollars that was being paid to him off the books by the Yanukovych government. So he, he gets overthrown and he flees to Russia and he gets replaced by Mr. Poroshenko, who was kind of positioned as a reformer, but eh, he still had this corrupt prosecutor and really wasn't that much of a reformer, but he was better and he was on the U.S. side at least. And so, and during that period in time, as Trump gets, gets elected president, we deliver the first delivery of Javelin missiles, these anti-tank missiles. And there's also some evidence, and, and this is the stuff that I've, I've, you know, I've been talking about this for several days now, um, and there's a great piece about this over at TPM, that, that Poroshenko was receiving these missiles because he actually had made a commitment that come election year, sometime late this year, early next year, if he was still president, that he would launch the investigation into Joe Biden and Burisma and Hunter Biden and all that kind of stuff and, and you know, dirty up the Democratic candidate, just like, just like had happened with Jim Comey investigating Hillary Clinton. And Trump expected it to have the same result, tearing down, Hillary, tearing down Joe Biden. And frankly, it is. I mean, uh, Ambassador Yovanovitch, excuse me, today, was asked by several Republicans, well, do you think it looks bad that the vice president's son is getting 50 grand a month on a board of a corrupt foreign, you know, Ukrainian gas company? And she said, yeah, I think it looks bad. I think it looks bad. I think we all think it looks bad. You know, Hunter Biden exercised terrible judgment and his father should have stopped him. That doesn't mean that Joe Biden shouldn't become president or shouldn't be the Democratic nominee. But I have a feeling that's one of the things that is hurting Joe Biden to the point that, you know, the donor class now have, you know, they're, they're, they're looking for a corporate-friendly Democrat to run against Warren and Sanders. And they're not quite sure that Pete Buttigieg is a guy because, you know, he's basically just been the, the mayor of a small town in Indiana. And he's never had a presidential campaign um, dig up dirt on him. He's never had that level and intensity of, of scrutiny before. And nobody knows if he'll be able to withstand it. So, you know, well, Deval Patrick, he, you know, he worked at Bain Capital for Mitt Romney, and, he's a, and he was the Republican, or Democratic, excuse me, Democratic governor of Massachusetts. So, uh, you know, and he's very, very wealthy from working at Bain. He was multi, multi-millionaire. So let's bring him in. And then, of course, Bloomberg jumps in. But but anyhow, I, I digress. But this, this, is, this is where we're at. And, and the, the, the Republicans are just constantly going back to that, like, we don't know what already. I mean, yeah, we know. Hunter Biden was there. He shouldn't have been there. It's not like he was taking bribes. It's not like he was ordering people hit. Uh, it's not like, you know, but, but, you know, he shouldn't have been there. Sure. Point made. But Donald Trump was trying to corrupt an entire government of, an, of a country that is allied to the United States and shares our interests. Uh, this, this is just absolutely breathtaking. Anyhow, I'll pick up some of your phone calls here. Uh, George in Chicago. Hey, George, what's on your mind today? 
Two quick things, Tom. First, there's no doubt that between the time the appropriation and the missiles should have been released to Ukraine and the time they finally got there. Which was two days after the whistleblower stuff was publicized, yes. Yeah. Ukrainian military people and civilians died at a higher rate than they would have if the military had had that very effective weapon. That's correct. Without getting into the technical details, uh, there's nothing Russian armor fears more except possibly helicopter gunships. But this puts a weapon in the hands of an infantryman that can take out the biggest hardest to kill tank. And yeah, and if I, if, I can, if I can jump in here, George, if the, if the tables were turned and the Republicans were prosecuting a Democratic president under identical circumstances, they would, like they did with um, that woman in San Francisco who got, when the illegal immigrant, in quotes, undocumented guy here in the United States, uh, dropped a gun in San Francisco and it discharged and killed this woman. Um, and I'm sorry, I don't remember her name. Uh, she, you know, anybody who watches Fox News could immediately tell you who she is because they did. Yeah, it happened it. on a on a pier that was popular right. with tourists. That's right. That's right. Um, uh, what the Republicans would have done is they would have found the name of one of those Ukrainian civilians or soldiers who died in the conflict with Russia, and they would have, and that person's picture and name and face would be all over the media all the time, saying, you know, this is who you know the president killed. Um, anyhow, back to you, George. And anyway, and that's in connection with my next point, which is what's often discussed on your program is how ineffective the Democrats continue to be on imaging and messaging. Yeah, which that is kind of the point I was just making. Way. And secondly, Republicans for years and years have been just delighted to remind us all that elections have consequences. Right. Well, I think every Democrat, particularly the members of the House and the Speaker, Every time the Republicans start whining about this procedure that's going on, should look them right in the eye and say, elections have consequences. The people elected a solid Democratic majority in the House to do exactly what we're doing. Yeah. Elections have consequences. Absolutely, George. And by the way, let's not forget that if, if but for, what, 25 or thereabouts, Democrats getting elected over Republicans in the last election, the, you know, in the election of 2018, had, had the Democrats not taken the House of Representatives starting in January of, of this year, these hearings wouldn't be going on. Exactly. All this stuff and would have been buried. Trump would have gotten away with it. In fact, they would, they, they would probably be announcing, well, he would have announced, I mean, uh, 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 Fareed Zakaria, you know, his op-ed and I believe it was yesterday's Washington Post, came right out and said, you know, this guy, you know, Zelensky was going to announce this on my show. So Exactly. Yeah. And I would also add that... The way things have turned out uh, are a total ratification of the leadership of Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, it was I think so. her I leadership think and strategy that gained this majority, and she stage-managed this impeachment process with perfect effectiveness. And uh, every Democrat, who, even those who don't like her, should stand up and cheer. Yeah, I agree, George. Well said. We'll be back uh, with more of your calls and, and, and the news the day. Well, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, Marie Yovanovitch's testimony, which is paused right now. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And I'll be back with your calls and my thoughts. And, you know, we'll, we're just kind of processing this right now. Stick around. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today for the Tom Hartman Book Club is A Woman of No Importance, The Untold Story of the American Spy Who Helped Win World War II by Sonia Purnell. This is from the prologue. France was falling. Burned out cars, once strapped high with treasured possessions, were nosed crazily into ditches. Their beloved cargoes of dolls, clocks, and mirrors lay smashed around them and along mile upon mile of unfriendly road. Their owners, young and old, sprawled across the hot dust and were groaning or already silent. Yet the hordes just kept streaming past them, a never-ending line of hunger and exhaustion, too fearful to stop for days on end. Ten million women, children, and old men were on the move, all fleeing Hitler's ranks, pouring across the border from the east and the north. Entire cities had uprooted themselves in a futile bid to escape the Nazi blitzkrieg that threatened to engulf them. The fevered talk was of German soldiers stripped to the waist in jubilation at the ease of their conquest. The air was thick with smoke and the stench of the dead. 
The babies had no milk and the aged fell where they stood. The hordes drawing overladen old farm carts sagged and snarled in their sweat-drenched agony. The French heat wave of May 1940 was witness to this, the largest refugee exodus of all time. Day after day, a solitary moving vehicle weaved its way through the crowd with a striking young woman at the wheel. Private Virginia Hall often ran low on fuel and medicines, but still pressed on in her French army ambulance toward the advancing enemy. She persevered even when the German Strukas came screaming down to drop 110-pound bombs onto the convoys all around her, torching the cars and cratering the roads. Even when fighter planes swept over the treetops to machine gun the ditches where women and children were trying to take cover from the carnage. Even though French soldiers were deserting their units, abandoning their weapons and running away, some in their tanks. Even when her left hip was shot with pain from continually pressing down on the clutch with her prosthetic foot. Now at the age of 34, her mission marked the turning point after years of cruel rejection. For her own sake, as much as for the casualties she was picking up from the battlefields and ferrying to the hospital, she could not fail again. There were many reasons why she was willingly jeopardizing her life far from home in aid of a foreign country when millions of others were giving up. Perhaps foremost among them was that it had been so long since she had felt so thrillingly alive. Disgusted with the cowardice of the deserters, she could not understand why they would not continue the fight. But then she had little to lose. The French still remembered sacrificing a third of their young menfolk to the Great War, and a nation of widows and orphans were in no mood for more bloodshed. Virginia, though, intended to go on the road, wherever the battle took her. She was prepared to take whatever risks, face down, any dangers. Total war against the Third Reich might perversely offer her one last hope of personal peace. Yet even this was as nothing compared with what was to come in a life that drew out into a Homeric tale of adventure, action, and seemingly unfathomable courage. Virginia Hall's service in the France of summer 1940 was merely an apprenticeship for a near suicide mission against the tyranny of the Nazis and their puppeteers in France. She helped to pioneer a daredevil role in espionage, sabotage, and subversion behind enemy lines in an era where women barely featured in the prism of heroism, when their part in combat was confined to the supportive and the palliative, when they were just expected to look nice and act obedient and let the men do the heavy lifting, when disabled women or men <clears throat> were confined to staying at home and leading off a narrow, unsatisfying lives. The fact that a young woman who had lost her leg in tragic circumstances broke through the tightest constrictions and overcame prejudice and even hostility to help the Allies win the Second World War is astonishing. That a female guerrilla leader of her stature remains so little known to this day is incredible. Yet that is perhaps how Virginia would have wanted it. She operated in the shadows, and that was where she was happiest, even to her closest allies in France. She seemed to have no home or family or regiment merely a burning desire to defeat the Nazis. They knew neither her real name nor her nationality, nor how she had arrived in their midst. Constantly changing in looks and demeanor, surfacing without notice across whole swaths of France, only to disappear again as suddenly, she remained an enigma throughout the war, and in some ways after it, too. Even now, tracing her story has involved three solid years of detective work, taking me from the National Archives in London, the Resistance Files in Lyon, and the parachute drop zones in the Haute-Leur, to the judicial dossiers of Paris and even the white marble corridors of CIA headquarters at Langley. My search led me through nine levels of security clearance into the heart of today's world of American espionage. I have discussed the pressures of operating in enemy territory with a former member of Britain's special services and ex-intelligence officers from both sides of the Atlantic. I've tracked down files that were missing and discovered that others remain mysteriously lost or unaccounted for. I have spent days drawing diagrams matching dozens of code names with scores of her missions, months hunting for remaining extracts of these strange disappeared papers, years digging out forgotten documents and memoirs. The book, A Woman of No Importance by Sonia Purnell. Tom in Aurora, Colorado. Hey, Tom, what's up? I was just curious. I keep 
thinking ahead to something I saw, and that is the fact that Mitch McConnell has already stated that he essentially doesn't see this an impeachment as an issue that's going to have to be followed up on in the Senate, really. I mean, yes, well, no, no, he, he has Senate, said that he will hold he is the automatic where we headed with this is, I guess, the real question. Yeah. If your question is, uh, can Mitch McConnell pretend this doesn't exist like he did with the nomination of Merrick Garland, although both are prescribed yeah. in the Constitution, I don't think he can get away with that. He's going to have to hold a trial, actually, and John Roberts is going to come over and supervise it. The big question is, you know, are, are these hearings, is this process going to be able to convince 20 Republican senators that Donald Trump is a criminal? and should be removed from office. And I'm not, you know, I, I, I keep there, waiting. I have a feeling, and yeah. Tom, yeah, I said, Tom, thank you for the call. I have a feeling that when it goes, when the, da when the dike breaks, when the dam breaks, it's gonna break really fast. And you're gonna just see an avalanche of Republicans suddenly turning their backs on Trump. And, and the thing that tells me that that's probably what's gonna happen is that the majority of the Republicans who were asking questions today were not going after this witness in a strong way. Will in Las Vegas, uh, Nevada. Hey, Will, what's up? Hey, Tom. First of all, I was I had the opportunity of going to Kiev in October of 2017. And while I was there, I marched in the Defenders Day march, which was an amazing spectacle. Wow. But the one thing that drives me nuts, and I can guarantee you drives every Ukrainian listening to this nuts, is the Republicans' insistence of calling it the Ukraine. Right, which is, uh, and the the means it's a portion of Russia. <laughs> right, or some other country. Yeah. And, and it's a very, it would be, be the equivalent of somebody saying, calling us the British colonies today. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the Ukraine is short for the Ukrainian region of Russia, or, or of the Soviet Union, rather, excuse me. Right. And, and I can guarantee you, well, you know, I was there. It took me a while to break that habit because that's how we were taught in school. It's called the Ukraine. Well, it was the uh, Ukraine up until 1991. <laughs> yes, it was. And yeah. now it's just Ukraine. That's and right. so to, to watch these Republicans sit there and once again, I don't know if they're doing it on purpose or they're just stupid. But the reality is every single time they put the and you don't call it the France, you don't right. call it. Germany. And every time they do that, it's really insulting to the people of Ukraine. And I wish they would just stop. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing, Will, and I, you know, I've even referred to it a, a few times on the air as the Ukraine. And it's, it's, it's a hard habit to break when you spent the first X years of your life, you know, calling oh, yeah. it the Ukraine. Um, uh -huh. but, and, 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 and I'm guessing that the Republicans, I mean, they, you know, they love to insult the Democratic Party by calling it the De Democrat Party, uh, with emphasis right. on rat, to, you know, to quote Joe McCarthy. Um, but I doubt that they're intentionally insulting Ukraine. I, I think that what you're seeing is a symptom of how little regard they hold this entire process. Um, you yeah. know, how little they're paying attention. I agree. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for the call. We'll be right back. It's uh, 49 minutes past the hour. Here in the United States, Ambassador Charlie, Trump's comments send wrong message. So the very month you're over there is our ambassador to Ukraine, Ambassador Charlie writes that op-ed, and it wasn't just that attack, as Mr. Castor was, got into earlier, it wasn't just that attack on the president. We had former Ukrainian prime minister, Yatsenyak, who criticized candidate Trump. We had Mr. Avakov. I believe earlier you said, Ambassador, that Mr. Avakov was the individual who first alerted you to the efforts of Mr. Giuliani. Mr. Avakov, back during this same time period in the months just prior to the 2016 election, called Mr. or excuse me, called then-candidate Trump all kinds of names, called him a terrorist. And of course, we have Mr. Lashenko, a member of parliament, who was a source for Fusion GPS and now somewhat famous dossier that flowed from Fusion's work. He said this in the Financial Times again in August of 2016, 
when you first arrive in, in, in Ukraine, he said this, the majority of Ukrainians... My apologies to our callers uh, who are on hold. The, uh, apparently the five-minute break was actually a five-minute break. And right now, had several uh, high-ranking uh, officials Jim the Jordan, the guy who is uh, typically half-dressed, and he's got to just check out his history. Trump, Anyhow, he's, he's going to see how fast he can talk, Ambassador Yovanovitch. Here it is. But I want to know, Ambassador, when this was all happening, did you go talk to anyone in the Ukrainian government about this? Did you go say to some of these officials, hey, you guys, you guys need to knock this off. This, this perception that we got, as Mr. Lashenko said, the majority of Ukrainian politicians on Hillary Clinton's side, that's not good. Did you have that conversation? No. This is another variation on the, how did you let yourself get into this situation, Ambassador? Didn't alert anyone in the government? Line of questioning. No. Well, one of the things we've heard so much over the last six weeks in depositions and, frankly, in the hearing on Wednesday is how important bipartisan support is for Ukraine. Democrats and Republicans agree they want to help Ukraine. In fact, the Democrats' first witness, their star witness on Wednesday, Mr. Taylor said Ukraine's most important strategic asset is this bipartisan support. And you would agree with that, right? I do. He said this. In his testimony on Wednesday, on September 11th, I learned that the hold had been lifted the next day. Ambassador Taylor said, I conveyed this news to President Zelensky and the Ukrainian Foreign right, Minister. That was two days after the whistleblower Mr. came out. High strategic value. What a surprise. Bipartisan support wonder, for Ukraine and I the importance if, uh, of not getting involved Jim in other countries' Jordan elections. Jordan will announce that. So what I'm wondering is, this is the day after the aid's been lifted that Ambassador Taylor made this statement to the Ukrainian government. And he makes this after there's nothing been done by Ukraine to influence our election. Because President Zelensky didn't announce he was doing an investigation and the aid was lifted. No, but he was. But he felt he needed he to say that. But in 2016, when we know announcing the investigation, that the majority of Ukrainian politicians came won Clinton two days to win before this because it was said by a member of released. parliament when the ambassador to the United States from Ukraine writes, writes an op-ed criticizing then-candidate Trump, when Mr. Avakov calls candidate Trump all kinds of names, Nobody goes and talks to us and, and tells them. This is them all for Fox News. Knock it off. Did you have, a, did you have any conversations with Jordan is doing here? Victoria Newland or Secretary of State Perry about what was going on in 2016 and this majority of Ukrainian politicians being for candidate Clinton and not and opposed to President Trump? No, I did not. No one did anything. She's uh, no basically anything. tolerating this. You see why maybe? Maybe the president was a little concerned about what went on in Ukraine. And you couple that with the corruption level that we know exists in Ukraine. Uh, in, in Ukraine. You, you add to that this idea that he's not a big fan of foreign aid, why he might be a little concerned about sending the hard-earned tax dollars of the American people to Ukraine. I'm sorry, is there a question there? There was. Okay. Uh, could, you, could you repeat it, please? Time Does for the gentleman's expired, but I'll let you... To to repeat the question. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm asking, might, you might, maybe we can kind of see why the president was a little concerned when you have the highest ranking officials in the government. That's not a question, that's a rant. criticizing him. <laughs> Parliamentary member Yashink, uh, Lashenko criticizing him. Here he goes. When you have Avakov, the guy who first told you about Giuliani, criticizing him. All this going on, and when you couple that with the concerns he has about corruption, the concerns he has about Europe not doing enough, the concerns he has about Reluctant well, to send Donald in the hard-earned tax dollars so to any country. Right? And I have indulged you corruption. with extra time, but I appreciate I, my it. indulgence is wearing out. I appreciate it. Uh, there is a question. Our, right? our indulgence wore out with you a long time ago, Mr. Chairman. Well, I I'll tell I, you that. I'm about to gavel you down, so if you have a question, well, I suggest you... you I'm asking her, is, is, do you think there's maybe a reason that, this was, that, that, that President Trump's concern was justified? You know, I can't speak for the president on this, um, but what I would say is... Um, you've listed a number of actions. I, I think from my point of view, uh, that, doesn't, um, that doesn't create a Ukrainian government strategy uh, to interfere in our election. I didn't say that. Uh, Mr. Jordan, please allow the ambassador to answer the question. So I, I would just say that, um, you know, U.S. politicians will often <laughs> criticize policies of... Uh, Foreign, uh, foreign counterparts, even perhaps during their elections. Uh, you know, this, this happens in politics, and 
I think that it, it doesn't necessarily constitute interference. Would you ever write an op-ed critical of a presidential Jordan, candidate in Ukraine? Jordan, your time has expired. Mr. Welch, you're recognized. Thank you. This is Peter Welch, uh, the Chairman. Democrat from Vermont. Uh, like everybody here, I'm extraordinarily grateful to you for your career of public service and I feel very badly about what you've had to endure. Uh, like uh, your colleagues, uh, you don't complain. Uh, well, the, uh, the testimony is going to continue with Marie Yovanovitch, the, uh, the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, who, was, uh, who Donald Trump today tried witness intimidation, actually tweeted, trash-talked her on Twitter. And she's got to be concerned now that she's going to walk out of there and there's going to be, you know, uh, right-wing crazies with guns and things looking for her. I mean, you know, it's, Christine Blasey Ford is still hiding out. So anyway, we'll be back and we'll continue our conversation about this then. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It needs you. Tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.